probably no surprise, we're still talking about Paul and his missionary trip, where he's, not his missionary trip, but where he is headed to Rome. And so um, this lesson is all about trusting in God and speaking out boldly for him and trusting where he's put you is where you need to be. Um, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 27 today. And so um, last we talked about um, Felix and Agrippa and Paul appealed to Caesar, and so to Caesar he's going to go. And so the way that happens is he, he's going to take ships and boats to travel there. There's a Roman... Um, centurion who's put in charge of a, of a military detail that's going to take him and a bunch of other prisoners. So they look for a ship and they start on this journey where they're traveling by sea. But by the time all this thing, all this happens, it's getting to be late in the fall. And so the weather's not very good for sailing on the Mediterranean. And so Paul's aware of this and most people are aware of this, but they really want to get Paul to Rome. They want to make him wait for a whole nother year. They don't want to wait till the weather's better in the spring, so they go ahead and get started. So they make a couple of trips, they end up changing ships, and um, as they leave Crete and they're out sailing, they actually end up in a really bad storm, and it's, it's called a, a Eurekilo. So Greek, that literally translates to a nor'easter. Is anybody here from the, has anybody heard of nor'easters? Really, really bad, windy storms with lots of rain it's just it's like what we would call a blizzard only it's on you know the notion the ocean and those when they actually get up in the northeast once they get over land they can be turned into snowstorms but they're they're really bad storms so they're out in the middle of this storm um, and it's at the point where the sailors are worried enough that you know they they rig the boat for storm so they've got a sea anchor which if you don't know what a sea anchor is it's not like the big heavy metal anchor that holds it to the ground it's more like um, oh, Dina could probably describe it better. It's, it's like an open funnel that's in the sea, and it doesn't really stop you, but it slows you down and keeps you pointed in one direction. So it's like a, well, I can't even really describe it. Like a funnel, but it's made out, of, they're usually made out of cloth or fabric or something, so it's tied to the ship, but it helps steady the ship. Um, they actually take cables and run them under the hull. Um, we're not going to go through all this part in Acts. And so they're tying up the ship. They're running cables around and tying it to try to hold the ship together. So this is really a pretty serious storm. And so it is kind of like the tail on a kite, but it's it's actually a like a fabric funnel. So as it, it lets the ship move, but it 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 really what it does it has its drag, and so with drag on the end of it, it keeps the boat pointed in a certain way. So it it let the ship move. If you're in a big storm and you anchor your ship and the, and the ocean everything's working on you, right, it could tear your ship apart. So this is just to more or less slow you down. It's kind of like brakes on a ship. They actually tie the rudder because they can't physically hold the rudder. If you think about a rudder that's steering the ship, it's all mechanically connected to that big wheel that they turn the rudder with. Well, if the ocean's really moving hard, that rudder, all that goes back up through. You can't hold on to it. So they've tied the rudder. They've done all this stuff to make the ship as secure as possible. And so the, the sailors are worried enough that they're, they're not going to make it. And so we're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 27. I'm going to read verses 21 to 24. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. 
Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all who are sailing with you. And I'll go ahead and read 25. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. And so these sailors who don't believe in God, and, in, and Paul is Paul, so you have to think that while he's been on the ship, he's been preaching the gospel, right? He's been living out his faith in God, but he's been talking to them about those things. And so Paul's telling them, you know, I told you we shouldn't have gone on this trip. He's not doing that to say, I told you so, and to tell them that you're wrong and I'm right. He's trying to build credibility with them to say that, you know, I... I know what's happening, I know these things, but also, what else is he telling them about what God's done for him? God sent an angel, right? God gave him the message to say, even though you're in this situation, it's not going to end as bad as you think it will, right? So you're going to lose the ship, but no one on this ship will die. So those sailors, you know, they, they're worried about dying, right? If you, if you go back before that and read all the things that the sailors have done in this bad storm and what they're expecting to have happen, they're probably not too sure they're going to make it. And so these sailors are very nervous. But Paul, you know, in, in the way he's conducted himself, the way he honors and glorifies God, the way he shares the gospel, is they're seeing him do these things. And so hopefully he's building that trust up with them that they will trust in him and in, in Paul saying what God's going to do and that God's protected him. And probably, don't you think, I mean, they've, they've been together for a while now, so he's been with this Roman centurion and the soldiers that are guarding him and the other prisoners. Do you think maybe Paul has told them stories about, um, well, I mean, I'm sure he's talked about the gospel, but he's probably talked about, you know, when he was in a city and was stoned and left for dead and when he was thrown in jail and when the earthquake happened and all the jail, the jail doors sprung open but they didn't leave. Do you think he's sharing all those stories? I mean, how many of you would go on a long voyage with people you don't know and not talk about stuff, right? So they didn't have, they didn't have um, Kindles. They didn't have iPads. So they're going to talk to each other. So they're hearing Paul talk about all this stuff. And so hopefully they're, they're building up this trust. And that's really what um, a lot of what our, our lesson is today is about trusting and about proclaiming the, the gospel message. You know, God's going to put you in certain situations. And God's put Paul here, right? We've, we've talked about in our prior lessons that, that God has arranged all these things so that Paul will do what God needs Paul to do. You know, even all of Paul's life, Paul was set up and his... His life as a Jew and how he was raised made him a very good witness because he was someone that if you just if you knew Paul before he was saved, you would never you would have a very hard time believing that he's now espousing the gospel, that he is serving God, that he's doing that, because he fervently fought against the gospel until he was saved. So in that way, Paul's a very good witness, and so he's out there um, doing these kind of things. And really, you know, if you think about it. When we have something that, that we want people to know, it's one thing to talk about it, right? It's another thing to do things. Your actions speak louder than your words. And so one of the things I think to draw from this, to watch Paul, right? Because Paul also probably is somewhat nervous. He does have the advantage in that he's lived through many 
trials that God has taken him through that were, you know, in fact, life-threatening, all the things that have happened to Paul. Um, and so he has that experience, right? Just like some of us here that are mature Christians and have had to go through some very serious trials, and God has walked us through those, and we can look back and see that. We have that advantage over someone who's a pretty new Christian, who maybe is just learning to trust God and has just learned the gospel, has just given themselves to Christ. And so they're not so sure. And so Paul's trying to show them this example. And there's a, there's a good scripture that talks about this, and it's in James. So let's turn to James chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 22. So James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And so what James is telling us here is it's, it's good to hear God's word, right? That's how people's hearts are changed. That's how we learn and grow. But you just can't hear it. You need to put it into practice in your life. Paul's a good example of doing that, right? So you can come here every Sunday morning and listen to me talk about the different stories and Paul and all these things. But if you don't take that and internalize that and use it to change your life, does it do you any good? Right? It's like you can go to the grocery store and you can get all the ingredients to make a cake and you can go back to your house and you can put all those ingredients on the counter but unless you start mixing and putting together and preheating the oven, right? Unless you do something with it, does it, do you ever get cake? No, okay. So not to say you're saved by works, but once you're saved, it should be evident by your actions, right? Once you have the ingredients and the knowledge that God gives you, right? And it's the word, it's fellow believers, it's the situation that God puts you in you got to do something with it, right? And so Paul, in every circumstance, it doesn't matter where he's at. He's preaching the gospel. He's encouraging people. He's trying to do these types of things, right? And Paul knows most of these sailors, they're not believers yet. But, you know, I think and part of it comes out from the lesson is that Paul's thinking that this is awesome because instead of them all dying, and, and Paul probably, because he knows God has told him, you know, even before the angel came and said, you're going to make it to Rome with everybody else, Paul's confident God's going to get him to Rome. And Paul doesn't know how because it hasn't worked out so good so far, right? Because probably back in Crete, Paul's thinking, well, I know we shouldn't go sailing, so I'm going to tell these guys. Maybe they'll wait, and I'll get to stay here in Crete, and I get to preach to the people in Crete and share God's word for four or five more months. But then, in God's will, the centurion, who doesn't want to wait any longer, talks to the ship's captain. Nope, we're going. So Paul's like, oh, well, well, how's God going to work this out, right? But Paul's confident he's going to make it. These other folks probably aren't. So Paul's able to live that way, right? Paul's being a doer of the word. He's being encouraging, and he's showing these folks and so it's just one of those things I think we need to keep in mind is we can read the word and we can do those things, but if it's not changing our lives, there's something that we're missing. Right. 
And that, that Cheryl brings up a very good point. You know, being confident and having that knowledge. And where, where does confidence come from? Think of something that you're confident at doing. How did you get that way? Practice, right? Living through it, right? I mean, the, you know, right. And, and everything, because everything comes from God. So that confidence you have in whatever it is that you do. I mean, if you think about it, I'm... I don't like blood and all that stuff, so I, I have farm animals that I can work on farm animals. That's not a big deal. When it comes to people, so I, I'm always amazed that when you think about a surgeon who can go into the operating room and just cut somebody open and get in there and find whatever has to get fixed and fix it, right? I mean, I tear things apart. I don't want to cut people open. But how did that surgeon get that confidence to just walk in there and do that, right? Right. Well, some of that is trial and error, but hopefully they do that on cadavers. So, um, but and and someone showed them, right? That surgeon just didn't go, "Hey, I'm I'm going to go in and do, you know, I'm going to go do a kidney transplant." Well, it's in there. Let's go find it and do it, right? No, they they study, they practice. Someone shows them, and and Christianity is the same way, right? You can't just throw somebody a Bible when they say I'm a believer and expect them to mature in a good way, right? We have to walk them through that. We have to encourage them, right? Because when someone becomes a believer, what does Satan want to do right away? Discourage them, try to make them think that they made a wrong choice, that God's not real, right? Satan is there and he attacks. You know, he's right. He's prowling like a lion, right? All these things start happening, you know, because you're a new believer or for lots of reasons, right? It happens to mature Christians, right? It's not like because you've been a Christian for 15 years, all of a sudden it's easy street. It happens all the time. And so, you know, Paul here, it's another good example. He's in the middle of a nor'easter, out in the Mediterranean. The ship's going to come apart, you know, but God's told him, you're going to make it. And Paul's like, okay, I'm going to make it. And so he's confident in telling these, these men on board, we're going to be okay. <laughs> right? And that's true. And that's true of our relationship with God, right? So if, if all someone does once you're saved, if all you do is go to worship service on Sunday morning, and you don't think about God, and you don't do anything else the rest of the week, how fast are they going to grow? Or will they grow at all? Right? Because really, it's, it's, it's your relationship with, with God. It's your relationship with Christ your Savior. It's that, it's that constant contact. Right? It's thinking about Him, thinking about what He's done for you, knowing what He wants us to do through the Word, getting encouragement from other believers. It's, it's that repetition and things right you know somebody talked um bev said we get good at things by practicing well i'm here to tell you if you only pound nails once a year you're going to bend a lot of nails because i do that right but if you do that all the time you don't even think about it you're thinking about lots of other things and you're just pounding nails and they're going in straight and you're not hitting your fingers and you're not tearing things up and right just like a lot of things that you get used to doing Hopefully, as a Christian, what we do is we get used to praying and thinking about what God wants us to do and, and working in that way. And it is work. It takes work. It doesn't come naturally. And Paul has done this quite a while, and he's lived through some pretty harrowing experiences. And so he has that experience and that confidence. And what he's doing is he's trying to share that with these men on board. So we'll go ahead and move on. Um, 
The next thing we're going to look at is, is encouraging others to trust in God, and that's what Paul's going to try to do next. So they've been out in this storm for a while. So they, they've been out. It says on the 14th night is uh, where we're going to pick up the scripture here. I'm going to start. It's Acts 27. I'll start in verse 30. But they've been out. It's the 14th night. Okay. Um, I know. So I was going to ask, has anybody here, and, and Dina probably has, but has anybody else been out on the ocean in big storms? I'll tell you, I have 15 minutes of sailing time on a Hobie cat. That's all the ocean going I've done. I have flown over the ocean a lot. Um, being out there on the water, I, I don't mind swimming. I can swim. I'm not a water person. But have you been out on big, in big storms? To be on a, yeah. how, how big was the ship you were on? Right. But you think about it, I mean, it's out there and it's getting tossed around and all that. And this is a, you know, so these guys are on a it's, a, it's a sailing ship, but it's made out of wood. This is a long time ago, right? They didn't have, they didn't have life vests. They did have, they did have a boat on board. We're going to get to that part. Um, but it's, it's pretty scary. So they're out there um, and they're, they're coming up to some land and, they had already started putting out anchors to try to secure the boat. Okay, so they're they're taking more action to try to keep the boat where it is until it gets light enough that they think they can get into this island. And so we're going to pick up here. It's Acts 27, verse 30. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. I'll read till 38. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 267 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. So here Paul's really trying to encourage them, and so... They've been out in this storm, and if you think about it, in really heavy seas, they can't prepare any food. So if they've eaten anything, it's just what they could grab and eat, right? So they're probably hungry, which doesn't help with their attitude. And um, I don't know about you, but I always, you know, if I don't eat fairly regularly, I get pretty crabby. So they may very well be pretty crabby. Um, but the sailors had pretty much had enough, right? And so they're to the point where they're telling them, we're going to go put some more anchors out, and they're getting ready to get in the boat. They were going to leave in the small boat and just let everybody else on the ship fend for themselves. But Paul knows this is going to happen, and so he talks to the centurion, right? So what's the centurion's job for these prisoners? To keep them. He's got to make sure, right? He's like a package delivery guy. He's got to make sure these prisoners make it to Rome, right? And... And the Roman soldiers, when they're guarding prisoners, they had pretty stiff penalties if the prisoners escaped, right? Because what they didn't want was for the prisoner's family maybe to bribe the guards to let them get away on the trip or something, right? Because this is a very long trip. They're not going across town. They're, they're on these sea voyages, and they're gone for a long time. So this centurion and the soldiers know if they don't show up all, with all the prisoners and they don't have a very good reason 
why they're not there, then they get in trouble, and they could actually be put to death. You know, that was Roman law. So the centurion does not want anything to happen to these prisoners. If it's at all possible, he wants to try to deliver them. And so he orders the rope for basically the lifeboat, the extra boat that they have on the ship. They cut the, the ropes that are holding that, and so that falls away in the ocean, and it's gone. So now nobody can get off the boat. Um, and, and so Paul sees this happening, right? And that might be, that's probably demoralizing for those sailors who thought, well, forget these guys, I'm going to get away, right? So now everybody's still on the boat. But what did God told Paul? Everybody on that boat would make it, right? Everybody would survive to get to shore. So Paul's confident in that. So he's trying to share his confidence by encouraging the people on the boat to say, look, you know, this has been, this has been an ordeal. This has been tough. Why don't you get something to eat? You know, let's try to get your spirits up. You're going to need your strength. And then when it gets to be daylight, we think we can make it in. Okay? And so that's what they're doing. And you'll notice, too, that as Paul's doing that, you know, Paul doesn't just say, here, eat. Paul... He's not praying silently for his food, right? For breaking the bread. Paul is praying and praising God and breaking bread and, and showing that, modeling that, really letting them know he's still trusting in God. He's not trusting in his ability to swim to shore. He's trusting in, his, in God's ability to save them all. And so it's that encouraging thing, you know, that Paul really understands that his faith is strong because he's gone through trials. He's trying to help them know who God is and to share his confidence and that encouragement that he has that he knows things are going to work out really the way that God is saying that. Even if they don't believe it, Paul believes that and he shows that confidence. And so hopefully they're being encouraged in that way. And so we're going to continue on here with um, Acts 27. I'm going to read 39 to 44. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow on some planks and on other various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. So... Pretty exciting conclusion to this little part of Paul's journey to, to Rome, right? So they think it looks like things are going to be okay, right? The sun's starting to come up. They're starting to be able to see things. They're confident enough that they're cutting loose the anchor so the ship will move. They're heading in. It looks like things are going to be great. And then, wham, they hit a reef or a sandbar or something, right? And so the prow is the front of the ship. The stern's the back. And so as they're running in, the front hits, right? And so if you think about the shape of a boat, the prow is kind of pointy, right? So it cuts through the water. What does the stern usually look like? Flat, right? Because it's behind, and the rudder's back there. 
So if you think about that, this boat now with these heavy seas and all the waves are crashing in, the front's stuck in a sandbar, and the big flat back is getting pounded by the waves, how long do you think the boat's going to last? Not very long, right? And so the soldiers are thinking, we don't want anybody to get away, and so we're going to kill the prisoners so that nobody escapes, and then at least we don't get in trouble, right? But the centurion at this point believes enough in Paul and what Paul's been doing that the centurion who's in charge of the other soldiers says, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to follow what Paul says. He's been right so far, so we're going to let everybody that can swim, swim to shore. So those who can swim start jumping off the boat and are swimming to shore, and so the ship gets destroyed, right? But in doing that, how has God provided for everybody? Think about it. The ship's getting torn apart. What's floating in the water? Right. So people who couldn't swim were able to grab onto some of the broken pieces of wood and things, you know, maybe barrels, whatever, and they could float into shore. So in that way, you know, what God's angel told Paul came true. Everybody survived and made it to shore, even those who couldn't swim. So that's, you know, it's a pretty amazing end of the story, but this is how God works, right? So hopefully you have stories in your life that you've lived through trials where you thought things were going to end really, really, really badly, right? And through, through God's will and his provision, it didn't turn out so bad, right? It's not that every time things turn out really well sometimes things do end badly right there are always earthly consequences we live on earth we can make a bad choice that goes against what god wants us to do that's sin and we can ask for forgiveness and repent and we're forgiven right but there are earthly consequences to that sin that you've committed and you may have to live with that um, and and so it's not that all of those consequences go away but god carries you through so in this way God has carried Paul and this crew through this part of the journey to get them to the shore. You know, if, if, if we look back and, and we think about it and we study the scripture, and this, this is one of the, the things that's been, that I think is one of the great mysteries of God, right? Is, is God is sovereign. So what, what does that mean that God is sovereign? He's in control of some things, things he wants to be, everything, right? So every single thing on earth, and everything was created by God. He spoke it all into existence, right? I mean, you can find proof of that if you go back through the scriptures. And then God created humans, right? We're created in his image. We're not exactly like him. We are created in his image, right? But what did God give humans that makes us unique. We, we do have souls. And so I'm thinking more about choice, right? So we have choices in how we react to things, right? So the, the thing that's always been that, that I have had to just tell myself I need to have faith in this is that everything that happens, if God is truly sovereign, and he is, everything that happens is in his will. So choices that you make make certain things happen. Well, how did that happen? Was it because you made the choice or because, you know, did what happen because God knew what you were going to do before you did it? I mean, there, there's all these things when you start, you know, thinking through the hard parts of that, that that get to be hard to understand. 
And so when, you know, looking at these, the things we've been studying with Paul and trying to understand what God's will is and, you know, why did this, why did the sailor go? Why did, you know, why did God not tell the captain, you really shouldn't go now because you're going to have this big wreck. But they did, that choice was made, right? Because if you go back, and, and we didn't read through that part of the scripture, but Paul tries to convince the centurion and the boat's captain that they shouldn't leave because it's too late in the year, you're running the risk of having these big storms, but they decide against that. So these people make these choices, and then this is the result of it. But God's will is still carried out, right? So no matter what's going on, God's will is being carried out. And so in some ways, I think that gives us the trust and confidence to be able to trust God. And, and if we look at it, Romans 8.28, and you could turn there if you want, I'm just going to read this. So 8.28 tells us, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So everything that happens is according to God's will, and it follows his plan. But it doesn't always make sense to us, right? Because if, if we were writing this movie, what would, we have ha- what would we have done? We would either have had Paul stay, or they would have gone and dodged the storms and made it safely, right? We would never have written in the, oh, you're going to die, and you know, these, they want to, you know, the sailors are going to abandon you, and you have to spend 14 days in a storm, and it looks like you're going to make it, and you're not going to make it, and all these different things that go on. Um, but it's just, it's thinking through and understanding and recognizing what God does for us and how God works and, and that he is sovereign and we don't understand why. And lots of things happen to us and we look at our circumstances and we wonder, you know, and sometimes we know why, right? I made a bad choice. I, I thought I could get away with this and I didn't and I got caught and now I have to own up to that, right? Or I was certain it would work out this way if I made this decision and I, if I got this person to meet this person and work this out, that it's going to work out good, right? Like, but it doesn't always work out. And, and the way we understand that and explain that is for God's will, whatever his will was, happened. And we may not understand that because there are lots of things that go on all the time and we don't get to see everything and we don't get to know everything but God does see everything, and he does know everything. And so we just have to have that trust and faith in him that we can follow where he wants us to go and do what he needs us to do and have the confidence that it's where he needs us to be. When I think through this, you have to really you need to know and understand the Bible and have good theology. You need to understand what's happening and why. Your motivation has to be right. There are a lot of people in this world who do a lot of good things in the world but they do it for the wrong reasons they do it for their own glory and honor they do it to become wealthy you know there are all these reasons but if if we're not doing it to honor God and to glorify God by loving him and loving our neighbor if that's not our motivation then it doesn't count for anything as a Christian and so we, we have to we have to keep that in mind is it is our motivation and Christianity isn't for whims you know there are you know, churches out there with bad theology that, that preach the prosperity gospel that says if, if, you, if you love God and you're a Christian, he's going to make you healthy and happy and rich and your kids are going to be awesome and life's going to be awesome. It can be that way, but becoming a Christian doesn't make that happen. And, and so 
you know, if your theology is all skewed, and you can, you can pick little bits of verses and things out of the Bible to say whatever you want to say. The Bible is an entire document that's inerrant in its, in its whole part, but you have to take the whole part, right? And that's something with Christianity, we can't pick and choose. We can't say, well, I believe this part, but not that part, right? Because as humans, what's our tendency to do? We're going to believe the parts that are good for us. I like all this good stuff. I like that I get to go to heaven. I like that God's going to do these things. But, you know, there's God. God is, a you know, one of his attributes. He's a just God, right? And, and there is, there really is the wrath of God. And you don't want to incur the wrath of God. You don't want to be a child of wrath. You want to be a child of God. You want to be saved, right? So just like, you know, God's not just about heaven. God's about hell. There has to be a consequence. There has to be a reason. All that stuff is in there. And God explains all that in the Bible. But we have to be ready to, to work through that and deal with that. And, and Paul's a good example. And Paul features pretty prominently through all this. But what's one thing that Paul consistently does? Does Paul say, look how good I am? Paul always points to God. Paul always gives glory to God. Paul always says... I'm here because God's put me here, and I can do this through God's strength, and God did this for me. And that's hopefully the attitude that we have as Christians, is that we understand even though we did a really good thing, we did that because we were motivated by God, because God gave us the resources, because God provided the opportunity. You know, God allowed those things to happen. And that's really the difference between what that is. You know, if you say, I'm the, I'm the best at this in the world because I'm really good, that doesn't serve God. If you say, I'm the best in the world at this, and I'm that way because God made me that way, and God gave me that opportunity. God put me in this family, and I, I got to learn how to do this, and he did this for me. And, you know, can you see the difference? It's really who are you honoring and, and giving glory to. And if you're doing that for God, that's right motivation, and that's what we're called to do. Um, it's when we get prideful and when, when the human fleshly nature and the, the worldly thoughts start to take over, that's where we, we really get into problems. Right. That's true. And it, it's, it's just acknowledging God in everything. Well, I think, too, um, like if we, we and, and it's true. No, nobody wants to be, you know, everybody wants to have the good life. Everybody wants to be happy and, and all those things. But that's not how this world works, Right. If it was that way in the Garden of Eden, but that didn't last very long, right? You get to chapter 3, bad things are different, right? Genesis 3, and after that, the whole Bible is all about the brokenness of the world and, and God's plan to fix that and how that works its way out. And lots of examples about people who do follow God and, and honor God, and they're blessed in that way. Um, and lots of people who don't follow God, and they're punished, you know, and even people who love God and follow God and still go through great trials. You know, read the book of Job. Um, you know, Job lived through a lot because he honored God, but he never cursed God. He never gave up on God. He continued to follow God. 